the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider on this first weekend of December. This week, in what is normally the interview segment, I've prepared a special on Joseph Dutton. The past two weeks, you've heard Father John Paul Kimes of Notre Dame University, which has a large archive on Dutton, speak about this servant of God, and I take another look at Dutton's life this weekend. This layman, born in Stowe, Vermont, came to the island of Molokai at the age of 44, and then for 44 years worked alongside Saints Damien and Marianne Cope, caring for the victims of leprosy who had been exiled to live here by the King of Hawaii. Hawaii now has two saints. Will she soon have a third in Joseph Dutton? Now, before I look at the week's news highlights, I must mention that the Vatican websites have been up and down for several days and are down, in fact, as I write this news report. A Vatican spokesman, Matteo Bruni, said Wednesday that the Holy See had taken down its main Vatican.va website amid an apparent attempt to hack the site. He said technical investigations are ongoing due to abnormal attempts to access the site. Numerous users online noted that the site was unavailable as of Tuesday morning. The sites have been up and down since Wednesday afternoon, with many attempts producing 404 error messages. Sunday, November 27th, the first Sunday of Advent, the period of preparation for the Lord's coming on Christmas, Pope Francis prayed the Angelus with the faithful from his study window, and he offered a question for reflection. How can we recognize and welcome the Lord? It's important for us to be awake, alert, vigilant. In this time of Advent, let's be shaken out of our torpor and awakened from our slumber. Let's try to ask ourselves, am I aware of what I'm living? Am I alert? Am I awake? Do I try to recognize God as present in daily situations, or am I distracted and a little overwhelmed by things? If we are unaware of His coming today, we will also be unprepared when He arrives at the end of times. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let us remain vigilant. Also Sunday, Pope Francis spoke out against violence in the Holy Land after one teenager died in a blast in Jerusalem and another teenager died in armed clashes in Palestine. Violence kills the future, shattering the lives of the young and weakening hopes for peace, said the Pope in an appeal at the end of his Angelus. A 16-year-old Israeli was killed, and at least 14 people were injured after two bombs exploded at bus stops on the outskirts of Jerusalem, November 23rd. Monday, November 28th, the Vatican published various parts of an interview Pope Francis gave to the Jesuit magazine America. Tuesday, November 29th, Pope Francis expressed sorrow for the death of Cardinal Richard Kouia Bawober, Archbishop of Wagana, who died unexpectedly at the age of 63 in Rome on Sunday evening. In a telegram to the Cardinal's family, to the missionaries of Africa of which he was part, and to the clergy, religious, and laity of the Diocese of Wa, the Pope said he's grateful for the Cardinal's faithful witness to the Gospel marked by generous service to the Church in Ghana, especially to those in need. Wednesday, November 30th, the Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle, 
At the general audience in a sunny but cold St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis recommended a daily examination of conscience as an indispensable practice in spiritual life. An examination of conscience is a prayerful recollection on one's thoughts, words, and deeds that helps to identify moments of sin and to ask for God's mercy. Francis explained its importance, saying, Before finishing the day, stop for a while. What happened? Not in the newspapers, not in life. What happened in my heart? He also continued his series of catechesis on discernment, focusing on consolation. In celebration of the Feast of St. Andrew, the Pope announced that a delegation of the Holy See had traveled to Constantinople. I wish to express my special affection to my dear brother, Patriarch Bartholomew I, and to the entire Church of Constantinople. May the intercession of the Holy Brother Apostles Peter and Andrew grant soon to the Church the full joy of her unity and peace to the whole world, especially the dear and tormented Ukraine. In a letter to Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew I, Francis said, The full restoration of communion among all believers in Jesus Christ is an irrevocable commitment for every Christian. For the unity of all is not only God's will, but an urgent priority in today's world. A papal message on this Orthodox feast day is traditional. Thursday, December 1st. Pope Francis's prayer intention for the month of December is for volunteer, not-for-profit organizations. The world needs volunteers and organizations committed to seeking the common good, he said in a video. Francis called volunteers who work for non-profit organizations artisans of mercy. Also Thursday, speaking at the 2022 Ratzinger Prize Award Ceremony in the Vatican, Pope Francis praised the role of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and his theology for the Church. We all feel his spiritual presence and his accompaniment in prayer for the whole Church. But this occasion is important to reaffirm that the contribution of his theological work and, more generally, of his thought continues to be fruitful and effective. The Ratzinger Prize was launched in 2011 to recognize scholars whose work demonstrates a meaningful contribution to theology in the spirit of Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, the Bavarian theologian who became Pope Benedict XVI. Also Thursday, the Holy See Press Office announced that the previously scheduled papal trip to the DCR, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and to South Sudan, that had been postponed due to health reasons for Pope Francis, will now take place from January 31st to February the 5th, 2023. The papal schedule was also released. Friday, December 2nd, Pope Francis attended the first sermon of Advent given by preacher of the papal household, Cardinal Raniero Cantalamesa. He also received a delegation from Leaders for Peace. Well, those are the week's news highlights, but stay here for a Q&A and my special on Servant of God, Joseph Dutton. Welcome to the Q&A. The question this week is, what are incunabula? Though this is not a term that will come up in ordinary conversation, and perhaps only a few times during one's life unless you're a student of ancient texts, incunabulum, the plural is incunabula, 
in the history of printing is a book, pamphlet, or broadside that was created in the earliest stages of printing in Europe, up to the year 1500. The term incunabula came to denote printed books themselves in the 17th century. It's not found in English before the mid-19th century. Incunabula were produced before the printing press became widespread on the European continent and are distinct from manuscripts, which are documents written by hand. Some authorities include black books from the same period as incunabula, whereas others limit the term to works printed using movable type. From the Latin incunabula, which meant swaddling clothes or cradle, metaphorically this is seen as referring to the earliest stages or first traces in development. The Vatican Library, which has over one million books and manuscripts, also preserves the largest number of the world's incunabula from the Middle Ages, 8,500 in total, of which 766 are digitized. According to Wikipedia, as of 2021, there are about 30,000 distinct incunabule editions known. The probable number of surviving individual copies is much higher, estimated at about 125,000 in Germany alone. Through statistical analysis, it's estimated that the number of lost editions is about 20,000. Around 550,000 copies of 27,500 different works have been preserved worldwide. He is honored by the Church as a saint with the title of the Seraphic Doctor. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. One of the greatest theologians and Franciscan mystics in church history, Bonaventure also wrote a biography of St. Francis that was commissioned by the Franciscans themselves. It took a saint and true mystic to understand a true saint and mystic. He died in 1274. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. The EWTN home video highlight for December is the EWTN Family Christmas Special. The Choir of the Eternal Word Television Network performs classical Christmas carols with a special commentary by Father Joseph Mary Wolf. Order your DVD or CD at EWTNRC.com 24 hours a day, 7 days a week or call 1-800-854-6316. Prayer is the only truly creative power in the world. God is the only one who can create something out of nothing. And when we pray, we welcome God into our hearts. And once he's there, he's going to do something. He's going to change things. He's going to transform us. He's going to make something out of the nothing that is me. That's the power of prayer for me. It's the only power that's guaranteed to change my life. And the only way I know to make that happen is through prayer. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider. I've prepared what I hope is a fascinating and informative special for this weekend on what is normally the interview segment of Vatican Insider. I think you all know my love, my passion actually, for the magnificent land that is our 50th state, Hawaii. I've developed a true Hawaiian ohana, a family, on my 10 trips to this paradise, and we all have one thing in common, our love for Hawaii's two saints, Father Damien and Mother Marianne Cope, and our hopes for a possible third saint. Starting in 2008 on my first visit to Hawaii, 
I've spent years researching the lives and works of Saints Damien and Marianne, including covering their canonizations in Rome, respectively 2009 and 2012. And Hawaii may well have a third saint, Brother Joseph Dutton. He was not a religious brother, but rather received that name from Father Damien, who told Joseph one day as they worked together on Kalopapa, You are like a brother to everyone here, and that's what I'll call you, Brother Joseph. Born Ira Dutton, he took the name Joseph when he became a Catholic. Joseph worked for 44 years alongside Father Damien and Mother Marianne and her nuns with the leprosy patients on Kalupapa, this handkerchief-sized piece of land in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Hansen's disease is the medical name for leprosy. When it came to the Hawaiian Islands, then a kingdom, King Kamehameha V banished all those with the disease to the isolated Kalupapa Peninsula on the north shore of the island of Molokai. The leprosy colonies operated from 1866 to 1969 and had a total of over 8,500 residents over the decades. At the time of Father Damien, a priest of the Congregation of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary, people sick with leprosy were exiled to Kalopapa. It was that exile of so many human beings who needed the hand not only of a doctor, but of another human being to comfort them in their dreadful living conditions, both physical and spiritual, that prompted Father Damien to go to Kalopapa in 1873. He served there until his death in 1889. Damien was joined by Mother Marianne Cope and six sisters from her order, the Sisters of St. Francis of Syracuse, in 1883. She lived and worked there until her death in 1918. We see the words heroic virtues literally come to life in St. Damien and Marianne. More than 8,000 people, mostly Hawaiians, have died at Kalopapa. Many of their tombs can still be seen today, although many thousands were washed away years ago as the result of a tsunami. Kalopapa is now home to just a few remaining residents who are now cured but were forced to live their lives in isolation. In October 2017, I spoke at the first annual Saints Damien and Marianne Catholic Conference at the Honolulu Convention Center. The conference focused on Hawaii's two saints, on their heroic virtues, but also on human rights, because that is really what Damien and Marianne fought for over so many decades. The rights of people who had been ostracized by society and forced to live in totally undignified circumstances. I was asked to speak on becoming a saint. What qualifies a person as a saint? How can we become a saint? When we think of sainthood and heroic virtues, we think, well, this is mission impossible, not something I can achieve. And yet, this is what we are all called to do. And this is what the conference hoped to achieve, to inspire each of us in our way with whatever gifts God gave us, in whatever circumstances he placed us to aim high, to look at sanctity as something eminently achievable. Did Marianne and Damien think like Mother Teresa? I know God won't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. Now for a second time that year, in a pilgrimage group traveling with Bishop Larry Silva, I returned to Kalapapa, a place that for me, and for many, is a shrine. Flying to Kalapapa, that was home to two saints and possibly a third, is a unique experience. The flight with Makanikai Air from Honolulu to Kalopapa is a magnificent trip of about 25 minutes in a very small plane that lands at a very, very small airport, about the size of a two-car garage. 
Pilots who travel between the islands often perform many functions. They unload and offload luggage, check passengers in, and ask important questions like, how much do you weigh? They check out the plane before takeoff and, when necessary, refuel it. Kalopapa Airport, in fact, is the local water cooler, where citizens and workers will gather for a bit of gossip and news. One of the first sights I saw as we entered town was the shore where the annual barge arrives, bringing durable goods to the island, usually in July. The majesty of the cliffs, some of the highest in the world, rising well over 2,000 feet above the Pacific Ocean, the color and sublime clarity of the water were truly marvels to behold. I'm sure that Damien and Marianne, notwithstanding the rigors of their work and the wretched state of their patients, shared my impression of the beauty of this land. For me, the peninsula of Kalopapa is God's creation at its loveliest. I've always felt that Kalopapa was how the earth might have looked on the first day of creation. My guide on my second trip to Kalopapa and Kalawao, where so many of the exiled patients landed in the 19th century, was Meli Watanuki, who had been at Kalopapa since early 1969, the same year that the government lifted the restrictions that banned victims of leprosy to forced exile on Kalopapa. A cure had been found by this time, but life on Kalopapa was the only life that patients knew. The government eventually compensated the forced exile by giving patients free homes for life, medical care for life, and guaranteed three meals a day. Melly told me that when she came, there were about 200 people in the settlement. Of American Samoan origin, she said that patients included Samoans, Hawaiians, Chinese, Japanese, and Filipinos. Melly no longer has Hansen's disease and, in fact, was one of eight former patients who went to Rome in October 2012 for Marianne Cope's canonization. Now, let's talk about Hawaii's third possible saint, Joseph Dutton. In June 2015, the Diocese of Honolulu took the first official step on the long and complex road to the possible canonization of an American layman and Civil War veteran who spent half of his life serving leprosy patients in Kalopapa, Molokai, working side by side with the settlement's two saints, Damien DeVoyster and Marianne Cope. On June 23, 2015, Bishop Larry Silva approved the statues of the Joseph Dutton Guild, identified in church terms as, quote, a private association of the faithful with juridic personality and the mission of spreading knowledge of and devotion to Ira, Brother Joseph Dutton, as well as addressing the financial and logistical needs for his cause for sainthood. The Guild evolved from and replaces the less formal Joseph Dutton Committee, which the bishop had convened a few years earlier, with people interested in promoting the Dutton cause. With my interest in and passion for the story of Joseph Dutton, I was asked to be a member of that guild. I now attend one of the four annual meetings in person and the other three gatherings via conference call. Now, here in short form, is Joseph Dutton's story. Ira Barnes Dutton, better known as Joseph Dutton or Brother Dutton, was born in Stowe, Vermont on April 27, 1843. His father, Ezra Dutton, was a farmer who also worked as a cobbler. His mother, Abigail Barnes, was a schoolteacher. The family moved to Janesville, Wisconsin in 1847. At the age of six, Ira started doing odd jobs around James Southern's bookstore, where he mastered the art of bookbinding and learned a little about printing. He received most of his early education from his mother and did not enter school until the age of 12. 
Later, he attended Milton Academy and Milton College. Ira was interested in things military, and he became a member of the Janesville Zouave Corps. With the onset of the Civil War, the cadets of the Janesville Zouave Corps were enrolled as Company B of the Volunteer Regiment, which later became known as the 13th Wisconsin Volunteer Infantry. Dutton was soon appointed regimental quartermaster sergeant, later promoted to lieutenant, and ultimately captain. The regiment, however, never engaged in any major Civil War battles. After the war, Dutton remained in service as a quartermaster's agent on cemetery construction duty. Now, this involved disinterring bodies from scattered graves and reinterring them in national cemeteries. Dutton was married in 1866, but the marriage soon failed. His wife was unfaithful and extravagant and left him in 1867. They were not legally divorced until 1881. Dutton spoke very little of his marriage in the following decades. Then began a period in Dutton's life that he later referred to as, quote, the degenerate decade. He said he had been a moderate drinker before and during the war, but during this time, quote, the drinking, chiefly of whiskey, was fierce and reckless, even up to July 1876, end of quote. At that time, he became, quote, strictly an abstainer after estimating he drank 15 barrels of whiskey over the course of 15 years. In 1868, Dutton worked with a friend whose business was a distillery. After two years there, he went to Memphis, where he lived and worked for 14 years. Six years with a railroad company, and then eight with the War Department as a special agent investigating claims and other business. Around 1881-1882, Dutton determined that he wanted to do penance and make atonement for his, quote, wild years. After studying the Catholic faith, he decided that embracing the faith would best enable him to lead a penitential life. He was received into the Catholic Church of St. Peter's at Memphis on April 27, 1883, his 40th birthday, where he took the name of Joseph. Soon after, he entered the Trappist Monastery at Gethsemane, Kentucky, where he stayed for 20 months devoted to a life of hard work and silence. However, he realized that the best way for him to do penance was not through a life of contemplation, but through a life of action. He left the monastery with the blessing of the abbot and sought out other religious orders. Joseph first learned about Father Damien and the Kalopapa settlement while attending a conference in New Orleans with the Redemptorist Order from St. Louis. There, he read the account The Lepers of Molokai, a small work by Charles Warren Stoddard, a professor at the University of Notre Dame who had visited Damien and Kalopapa in 1884. Immediately inspired, Dutton traveled to Notre Dame and consulted with Stoddard as to the feasibility of joining Damien in his work. Receiving encouragement, Dutton left for San Francisco and he sailed to Honolulu, where he met with the Catholic bishop and the government's president of the Board of Health. Receiving approval from both, Dutton went to Molokai, where he arrived on July 29, 1886. Father Damien had been diagnosed with leprosy the year before. Now, more than ever, he needed an assistant to help him carry out his work after he was gone. Dutton threw himself into the work. Damien later wrote, The courage of my dear brother Joseph Ira B. Dutton appears to respond very well to the special calling for which our blessed Lord has chosen him. He takes a special interest in all that concerns the altars and sacristies of our churches. He also acts as our druggist, and he's a truly good confrere to me. Soon, Dutton became an expert in caring for the patient's medical needs. 
The settlement physician wrote, quote, For many months after his arrival, his daily routine from daybreak to dark was cleansing and dressing the sores, ulcers, and other skin troubles, removing carious and necrosed bone, all of the things that leprosy afflicts on mankind. He was methodical and accurate in his work and quick to learn the rudiments of medicine and surgery. Father Damien had established homes for the orphan boys and girls in Kalawau near his church and home. In 1888, the girls were moved to a new home in Kalopapa under the direction of Mother Marianne and the Franciscan sisters. Father Damien died in 1889, and then much of Dutton's work was taking care of the boys. In 1895, H.P. Baldwin, a Maui sugar planter, donated the money to establish a large multi-building boys' home on a campus across the road from Damien's Church of St. Philomena. Dutton was put in charge of this Baldwin home for boys, where he labored for the next 35 years. Dutton supervised the Baldwin home and a staff of usually four brothers from the Sacred Hearts congregation. Joseph continued to work at sword dressing, but with the arrival of the brothers, he was free to take on other activities. Interest in the settlement continued, and Dutton became a prolific correspondent. It is said that his address book contained over 4,000 names, and bags of mail delivered to him sometimes weighed over 50 pounds. Dutton became celebrated and revered. He corresponded with Presidents Warren G. Harding and von Roosevelt, and he had the attention of such writers as Jack London and Robert Louis Stevenson. Perhaps most notably, in 1908, President Theodore Roosevelt directed the Great White Fleet of 16 battleships, then on a voyage around the world, to divert from its course to sail past Molokai and honor Brother Dutton. In 1893, Dutton had left the Kalawo side of the settlement for the first time since his arrival on the peninsula to travel the two miles to the Kalopapa side to attend to the shipping to Louvain of Father Damien's effects. Returning to Kalawao, he never again left the grounds of Baldwin Home or the church across the street until 1930, when he again went to Kalopapa for eye surgery. By 1930, Dutton was 87 years old. He had become feeble, nearly blind, and nearly deaf. On July 4, 1930, two of the brothers took him to Honolulu, where he spent his remaining days at St. Francis Hospital. He died there on March 26, 1931, just one month short of his 88th birthday. His body was returned to Kalawa, where he was buried near Father Damien. I've discovered evidence that Joseph Dutton was a third order Franciscan, apparently suggested to him by St. Marianne. The Guild is studying this aspect of his life as well, of course, as his potential heroic virtues. Although being a penitent, Dutton frequently expressed how happy he was in his life of service at Kalawao. He commonly signed off his letters with, Joyfully Yours. And that's how I want to sign off today on this special, Joyfully Yours. For more information, go to www.josephdutton.org. Mahalo. Thank you. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.